In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Of the three people here, you are the most brainwashed. You are the most mind controlled. Maybe. No, definitely. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How's that negatively affecting my life? I'm a happy person. I take care of my family. I love my family. I'm surrounded by people I care about. Like at the end of the day, I've got one life to live. Well, I'll go back. I'm much happier when I stopped obsessing about all the ways that society was going to collapse and instead focused on how I could help the people around me in real life. I'll go back to what I said when I started. (laughs) The human capacity to deny reality is both fascinating and frightening. And, And the news cycle is just a series of unfortunate events meant to keep you in fear mode so you'll be too scared to realize it's all an illusion. Sean, um... I, I love what you guys have. No, <laughs> I pulled out your good ones, Aaron. <laughs> I love that. I will say one thing before I forget that I, that I would, I would. I'm curious what your thought is on this in terms of just to go back to mass migration here. In in terms of these idea, this idea that you know we have to keep people out. What if the goal is to keep us in? Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I am Dr. Roger McFillin. Humans are social animals. We aren't meant to be divided, isolated, and in constant competition to survive. Our minds are hacked and conditioned in this way to keep us easily controlled. Once we recognize this in mass, we will be liberated. I find this tweet, Sean, to be sophisticated and an accurate observation of human nature in a way that succinctly summarizes many of the challenges we are facing. The author of this tweet posts behind the account, the account just a thought. She has 61,000 followers for a reason. Not because she's famous, not because she has an advanced degree that provides her expert status. It's not in the media, but because people connect with her posts. She appears to have a grasp on global events and politics that summarize what many people think but are unable to articulate. And I think sometimes, you know, you and I struggle to articulate what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. I had to reach out to her to have a conversation about the dangerous road we were walking down as we are inevitably entering into a period where national sovereignty and quest for individual liberty and freedom are coming in direct conflict with global totalitarianism, transhumanism, and what is often referred to as the Great Reset. I completely understand how this type of conversation may lead Sean to have a panic attack on air. Yes, maybe. Depends on where we go with it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I accept the possibility that... uh, his recurrent nightmares may impact his ability to actively engage in the podcast in the future. I shared those in secrecy with you. (laughs) (laughs) With that said, Sean is someone who struggles to grasp the full (laughs) extent of such a movement that is intent. This isn't about me. It's about the guest. 
<laughs> it's more about what you represent. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting um, <clears throat> kind of like sabotaged here. Like this is some type of collective action against can, me. Can we just call you Normie for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> it's kind of what you have represented two and a half years on this podcast. On the middle of the bell curve? Exactly. All right, that's fine. Okay. So since you have a sometimes a difficult time understanding that there may be intent on creating mass chaos, um, you become the definition of someone who despite some clear and direct evidence that's in front of our face every single day that reveals aspects of human nature, um, it's sometimes difficult for you to understand that like having conversations like this may be necessary for all of us. I'm just, I've never been a fan of the court of public opinion. Like I like to really think things through and I don't react to something when I'm hearing it for the first time. I, I need to, I need to sit with it for some time. Two, three, four years, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So I've said this before. The human capacity to deny reality <laughs> is both fascinating and frightening. Yeah. And so today is about trying not to deny reality. I'm not saying everything we talk about today is absolute truth, but it's the openness to have the conversation. And so with that, I want to welcome Aaron Galvin, who is the, that person behind the Just a Thought Twitter account. Um, I'm just interested in having conversations with fascinating people with inter interesting thoughts. And that's what podcasts allow us to do. She has leveraged her own background in psychology and justice studies, and she actively raises awareness about human behavior and how it's manipulated by the powerful to maintain status quo. Um, she is somebody who is consistently putting out thoughts or ideas that make you think. So Aaron Gavin, I want to welcome you to the Radically Genuine podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm pretty excited to be here. Let's start with this tweet that came out today. I think it's fortuitous. Humans are social animals. We, haven't, we aren't meant to be divided, isolated, and in constant competition to survive. Our minds are hacked and conditioned in this way to keep us easily controlled. So it's almost like you're saying that there's a large portion of the population that isn't aware that they are under the spell of this mass conditioning. And until we realize it, we are going to continue to be controlled, be divided and fight against each other. Yeah, yeah, I think you uh, definitely hit the nail on the head there. That's, that's kind of how I feel and have felt for a good amount of time here. Um, I think that ultimately the key to kind of liberation overall, right, of whatever, what have you, um, is really understanding that, that we are manipulated, that we are conditioned, that the powers that be, um, actually understand psychology and human nature really, really well. And they use that against us as the general population. Yeah. And Sean, I want to bring you in here. This is some of the challenges that I've had with you. I think it served your best interest to kind of devalue, uh, people in positions of power and not understanding like how smart they really are in order to create what are sometimes like psychological operations on people for mass conditioning purposes for control, for, for control of power and money and, and influence. And so I want to know where you are now, uh, you know, three and a half, no, what is it? two and a half years, almost three years since we've had initial conversations where you would get really angry at the idea that we are being mass manipulated and the idea that there's intention around it? 
Um, I'm open to it. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely more aware and conscious of where things are coming from and who's delivering the message. And I, maybe it's just over the last two years because everybody else has gone through somewhat a similar transformation after coming out of the pandemic. There's more people being vocal and speaking about it, which is, I don't think I'm just in that algorithm, but uh, there's tons of like fantastic conversations about what has happened over the last couple of years. And if you're, if you recognize that that has happened over the last two years, then you start going back further and you say, well, when did it start? And it's really, it's always been there. Yeah. And I want to know, Aaron, when did you become awake? Have you always been, you know, awakened to all of this? Have you seen it even since you were younger or is it, you know, certain uh, events like COVID that have helped you really see things more clearly? I will say COVID definitely opened my eyes a lot more, right? Like, as you were saying, Sean, I think a lot of people in the past years have started to kind of question maybe things more that they didn't previously. But I will say 9-11 was really a wake-up call for me. Mm -hmm. uh, not right away, of course. You know, I think I was like a freshman in high school. But towards the end of high school, like I think senior year, I remember specifically writing like an open-ended paper about the Patriot Act. And I remember just being fascinated by it and, and horrified by it. But when I would talk about it, whether it be kind of like in social groups or in school, um, nobody really that I had contact with felt that same kind of fear that I felt. And that stuck with me. Yeah, because during that time period, we were all focused on a, a national tragedy, a tragedy and we wanted to have some course of action. So we feel like we were having control over it. And we gave up a lot during that, that time period and to speak out against it and, and say things that, you know, weren't 100% American, you're putting yourself out there to really be attacked. And I think we were very controlled by the corporate media. It was, that's before social media, before we're so connected uh, on the internet in the way that we are currently, a lot of our information was filtered to us. The narratives were filtered to us from our, from the U.S. government and the corporate media, which is the way things had been for quite some time. And I think, I think we have to first identify, because we're going to use words like they, <laughs> like we, we don't, we don't always really art articulate clearly who they are. You know, who is the, the influence? Who is, the, who is con the controlling puppet master behind a lot of these operations that are clearly existing? Um, and Aaron, I want to get your thoughts on this. Who are they? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think that, like to go back to a point you made, right? People in positions of power often, it's kind of like, oh, well, they're so incapable and you know it's really just kind of this idea that this is happening because they're not able to it's kind of all just based on failure of a system when in actuality i think the system was created in this way to maintain power at the top and so when we speak of they i don't actually necessarily think it's people that you're seeing all the time that are you know on the televisions on your screens i don't think it's really politicians um of course, world leaders and such, you know, they do hold power. But ultimately, I think that they is kind of, um, to be honest, more of the controllers of our financial world. So when you talk about the Federal Reserve, um, when you talk about, you know, central banks, 
um, how global finances work. I think that a lot of those politicians that we see, those billionaires that we see, those talking heads that we see, I believe that they um, kind of answer to them in a certain regard that they are not as powerful as them because they do not control the global financial systems that we have and have had for a long time. I, I completely agree to the fact where I think politicians are like paid actors. They are essentially just mouthpieces for the wealthy, for the ones who are controlling the corporate interests. And the financial sector is so rigged that to create the, 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 the 1% of the top 1% um, is so wealthy and so powerful that they're more powerful than most of the countries on earth. And they can hire their own armies, their own mercenaries. They, they are connected to the major intelligence organizations in a lot of uh, the major Western, Western worlds. So they can really compromise anyone if, if, they, if they have to. And so I do believe they are in the shadows. Um, they're not clearly identifiable to us or available to us. Although the, the World Economic Forum as an organization certainly seems to be printing the playbook for example. And uh, is that how you see it, that the World Economic Forum is a, uh, a group that tries to legitimize their needs for totalitarian control and the loss of independent and individual freedom and national sovereignties? I do. I do believe that the WEF, uh, yes, it, it kind of encapsulates that. And, and we're seeing that there's so much more solidarity between global leaders than maybe we would previously think, uh, especially between like Western and Eastern powers. And in that, you know, we are, the U.S. is totally um, out of line and vision with China and Russia specifically. We always hear about China and Russia, but ultimately I think I think the WEF shows us that those global um, agendas are very much in line and very much in lockstep. Um, however, even then, you're still not seeing, uh, say, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, you know, families that have such power and have held this power for generations. Um, those, those kind of names you're still not really seeing. Uh, however, yes, I do believe that that group in particular is, is pretty telling. One of your tweets that you put out that I agree with was, it doesn't matter if you vote for Biden, Trump, or third party. Whoever is placed in the presidency will implement whatever the powerful tells them to do. Digital IDs, uh, CBDC, 15-minute cities, drone warfare, forced vaccinations, more surveillance. If you don't believe me, just wait. And so one of the things that I have a hard time understanding in the United States is how working class people can so feverishly vote and support uh, someone like Donald Trump. It's my, my, my belief is there's really no difference between the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. I think they're just put there to keep us in division and to keep us fighting over issues that we've been fighting over for 50, 60, 70 years that never will ever get uh, resolved, while they continue to do the same exact thing. They fund foreign wars. They, um, 
They take away our freedom. They take more money. They print more money. And they create a slave state. Essentially, we all have to work more to get the same things that uh, we used to get in previous generations. It's almost impossible right now for a, um, to survive on one income. With inflation, rising food prices, um, we've, pulled, uh, we've pulled men and women uh, out of the homes, especially when it comes to raising of children. Children are more likely to be uh, indoctrinated into ideology in public schools, raised in daycares, because you can't even afford to really stay home with children, raise your children. And this has all occurred under what I believe just to be a psyop on basic kind of conditions around what it means to be independent, to be free, uh, feminism, a number of things that are really pushed that ultimately take away freedom and rights from a lot of people. And you see a sicker and sicker generation because of the lifestyles we live and the toxicity that exists in our environment while certain groups of people continue to get richer and richer and richer, and they numb us with entertainment and politics, and we don't really understand what's going on. So are we under the illusion this is a democracy? Yeah, 100%. I think that uh, whenever somebody says, you know, we have to fight for our democracy, my answer is, what democracy are you speaking of? And who do you feel represented by? And specifically, when you're talking about the Democratic and Republican Party, you always see the same kind of specific issues go back and forth that, like you said, are never resolved. And I think that when you talk about someone like Donald Trump, the reason that he became so popular was that he was entertaining. That's the scariest part about it. He wasn't saying much but he was making people laugh. He was making people feel some kind of empowerment because he was saying things other people wouldn't say. But ultimately, what was it that he was saying? What was it that would have changed or did change? Uh, a lot of people will say things like, oh, well, there wasn't as much warfare going on to the years of Trump, but that's just ultimately untrue. That's just that it wasn't maybe spoken about as much on, on you know, the mainstream media. But we have been in constant warfare. The U.S. has been in constant warfare for generations. So to think that things had ultimately changed during that four period, that four year span of time is just it's just illogical. It's just not real. Not only that, um, we continue to print money and create uh, debt that will if if we continue to have national sovereignty, which I'm not sure we will, would hamper, you know, next generations. He is the one who appointed uh, Nikki Haley uh, to the UN, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. Uh, Fauci remained in his position the, the entire time. That lab in Wuhan was funded under his administration. He appointed uh, Fauci to head the pandemic. Uh, what else was out there that occurred? Oh, he pushed Operation Warp Speed to take a mRNA novel gene therapy and push it as if it's a vaccination to get us all out of the pandemic. He appointed people who are directly involved in major industries like Scott Gottlieb to head the FDA who's connected to Pfizer, on the, was on the Pfizer board or is on the Pfizer board. 
right? So you look at all those, all that evidence and people want to say he was in there to target the deep state. Like he was a disruptor and it doesn't even matter. Facts don't, I mean, people don't even aware of this stuff. It's just like what he sells you. He's a marketer and we just, and most people just accept it. Whoever thinks he is going to come in and just save our country from everything that is, that is going on uh, is not really paying attention. And that's why I think so many people remain brainwashed. Aaron, um, I don't know if you saw it this week. Uh, Tucker Carlson did an interview with Michael Benz, who it's like an organization called the Foundation for Freedom. It's mostly around censorship. I listened to it just today. Um, it's only been out for like four or five days. So um, I highly recommend that everyone go back and, and listen to this. I'll include a link. But he was basically providing the historical context for what has happened over the last, we're going to say almost eight to 10 years of what has happened here in the United States, which led to this increased censorship, especially in the online space, where freedom of speech is now being, sure, yes, we have freedom of speech, but anytime you're saying things now, you're getting, you're getting ramped down or you're, if you're trending they're putting the limitations on that for anything that could disrupt what they're saying, democracy. Um, it's a fascinating listen. And, uh, you know, the way that Tucker says, like, if what you're saying is true, you know, if, if what he is saying is true, um, it really does provide some context for what's happened over the last couple of years. And for me, as I was coming in, completing this, listening to the interview, it was like very eye opening because I've had a lot of I'm going to call them like blank areas where the, the conversations we've had in this room and Roger and I have had debates about like the Twitter files. Like there was something in there that I was like, doesn't make sense to me. There's something that that's missing that wasn't part of those Twitter files. This kind of explains it because they, he talked about this natural language processing, like an AI machine learning that basically every social media company had to use to try and prevent any homegrown, you know, ISIS threat that was happening during that 2016 to 2020 era, because there was a lot of happening with like recruitment. And if any hate speech was out there and they didn't take it down within 48 hours, there was like a $54 million fine. So they had to use this, basically this code that was written. And when all this went up there, they were able to create these almost like word maps of what was happening out in the United States at any given time to basically start to identify how a community is formed online and where it's trending and where it's going to map it out and then squash it. And it's the way that he was describing it was much more, uh, simplistic and easier to understand than what I just did, but you need to go back and listen to this thing. It's, it's incredible. He talks about the Atlantic Council, which is basically NATO's think tank. And the way that he has communicated, there's like seven people that used to be former directors of the CIA that are running this. And I didn't even know that seven CIA directors are still alive, but apparently they're, they're working at this Atlantic Council. So it's, it's crazy. And so when you talk about who's influencing things, I truly believe it's these type of organizations that are like non-government entities that have been hired to do things that government can't do. NGOs. Yeah. For the purpose of influencing and nudging uh, the entire American population or preventing foreign adversaries from influencing, but it's, it's, it's happening. And um, 
the way that he described it is, is frightening. That's fair. I mean, I, I would be interested to listen to it. I think that right now, especially given, you know, how pervasive social media is and, you know, talking about Twitter or X specifically, you know, to have someone like Elon Musk purchase that and talk so much about censorship and talk so much about freedom of speech. When we know that, like you mentioned, algorithms are watched and suppressed and you, you kind of say in an, in an echo chamber of some some sort, but I also believe that they want us on social media. They want to see who is a dissident. They want to see how trends, you know, kind of come and go, what people pay attention to, what they don't. I think if nothing else, it's genuinely a surveillance um, tool that's being used globally. And so I don't, I don't necessarily even think that they're like giving us freedom of speech, I think they're just monitoring what we say. Yeah, and I've heard a number of people who are very active in social media saying, you know, since uh, it became uh, Elon Musk's ex, I've noticed that my engagement numbers are falling because maybe I'm not paying the $8. And sometimes my message gets a lot of, uh, uh, my, my impressions are really higher, my reach is really high, and then I'm getting nothing for like a period of two or three weeks. Like that could be intentional as just a way to keep you engaged with the platform is you put out 20, 30 messages and they'll have one that really does this incredible number. It's giving you that dopamine rush and it's keeping you engaged because you're always, it's like golf. Like you go out and you swing and you swing and you swing and you get a hole in one and you're like, I got to play more golf. Like that's, <laughs> that's what it is yeah. with your engaging in social media. It's just like you get that one video that gets a whole bunch of views and you're like, we need more videos. We need more videos. That's what they're doing. Yes. I, I agree with you a hundred percent there. I think that it's very much, uh, we know it's addictive. We know that, um, our brain actually, you know, does feel dopamine hits when we get likes and when we get engagement. And so um, I think it's a lot more complicated than than what we perceive it to be. Yes, I agree. You seem real skeptical of Elon Musk. In some circles, he's kind of put up on a pedestal as if he is the, uh, the protector of our of our free speech. Uh, tell me about your skepticism about him. I mean, it's it's just really fascinating to me, people who are otherwise kind of open-minded and questioning all of the things we've been talking about. And then when it comes to someone like Elon Musk, uh, they totally turn off those warning signs. Uh, Elon Musk is affiliated with the WEF. He is a huge advocate for transhumanism. His grandfather, actually in Canada, you know, was part of a large transhumanism movement. Um, so this is a family, <laughs> a family affair, if you will. And not for nothing, but Neuralink, um, although I know could have some potential wonderful aspects to it, ultimately is merging human and AI. And um, I, I guess I just, I think the cult of personality just takes over completely and blinds people to Elon Musk. I think he is a snake in the grass. I think it's pretty obvious. And um, yeah, I don't know. He's he's not my favorite by any means. It's kind of interesting what's happening right now with um, they're trying to get him off of like a lot of boards uh, or like in, in terms of like his ex presence. I, I feel like they're trying to like remove him. But he has so much influence in, in other areas. The government or even like the CIA, whatever you want to call them, um, they're reliant upon him because of all these other businesses that he started with SpaceX or, or Norlink. 
the way that everything when it comes to a green economy is contingent upon batteries and like his battery plan is what's being built like he can, he is so vital can, to so much yeah but can i reverse engineer this a little please bit? all right <laughs> so let's uh, imagine he really is a snake in the grass as aaron identified right so he's part of whatever this transhumanistic uh we can even say it's an anti-human depopulation totalitarian world government movement that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that's exactly what's happening. If he was that powerful, right, they would all benefit by in some way trying to devalue him for him to be on supportive of those who are, uh, you know, anti-censorship, free speech. You can prop him up by making him somewhat of an enemy to those entities in the way that it's presented to the public. Mm -hmm. So again, remember, these are smart people. They're steps ahead. They can reverse engineer a lot of these things. They know exactly how human beings think. They know how human beings think from decades and decades of research into it. Uh, what's interesting, I've had some uh, recent conversations with people who are from South America. And one of the things that you know, they have said to me that a lot of what happens in the United States was tried out first in South American countries. Oh, oh yeah. Right, certainly the role of the CIA in uh, thought control, um, propaganda based to see how it influences human beings before it's brought to the United States. That Michael Benz guy on that Tucker Carlson interview also spoke about when it came to this um, kind of AI machine learning that went into the, the social networks, it went into Europe first as a censorship tool. And they used the Russian Crimea incident as the justification to do it. So when they rolled it out there, they were able to learn from it and then ultimately rolled it out here in the United States. So there's, it, it happens everywhere, but it's happening at a, as a digital way now, more so than, than ever before, because it's so easy to nudge people digitally than it is to you know, influence human beings by putting pressure on them. You can do more damage by nudging socially. Thoughts? Yeah. You're giving me a look, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think first and foremost, right, like what you said, Roger, is absolutely how how I would describe it, right, is that first and foremost, when it comes to these powerful people and this cult of personality that we struggle with, and you're kind of pushing it out there that they're a threat to the establishment, that's exactly what happened with Trump, right? He was anti-deep state. And then, as you said, he brought in the deep state into his cabinet, like one by one, right? So I think that absolutely happens with Elon Musk. I think it happens with anybody on this global stage that they, I don't think you're allowed onto this global stage with this massive platform and all this influence unless you are fully aligned. And so, yeah, I guess just to say that, just before I forgot that thought, I, I definitely agree with that. So the psychologically, I want to get into the minds of the uber powerful, right? So let's imagine, you know, we're talking about this, uh, you know, this dark energy behind the scenes. They could be families who have been extraordinary wealth pulling the puppet strings for, you know, generations. What is their ultimate goal? What inside them do they want to achieve and why? Um, well, I mean, I think that, again, if you're just kind of going at baseline psychology and you're looking at how humans react to positive, negative 
negative stimuli and reward versus punishment. If you have families and generations who have experienced great power and great wealth, then it would only be logical that they would continue to want to attain that and to do anything really to maintain that and that they would never acquiesce or never give that power and wealth away. And so really it's almost as though in their mind, they have no other choice. And because we've continued to grow as a population and we've become more aware, hopefully, <laughs> you know, they will go to any, any, what, what does it take? It doesn't matter in their mind. It, it, it all that matters is power and wealth and maintaining that and growing that. I think that's human nature. So it's to maintain the status quo. No, it's not. It's no. not to maintain. The but status if you're quo. the influential person and you're, in, if you have all these organizations that are basically doing your, your bidding and you're, you have billions of dollars to influence them in a certain direction, aren't you just maintaining uh to keep to keep those organizations in power See, that's not how human nature actually works maybe it works for you you're okay with always the status quo but <laughs> <laughs> um there uh, it, it becomes power and but, wealth but be status quo for them is billionaires the most powerful people in the world like but remember we've talked about how dopamine works you actually talk about dopamine hits on here previously so this is something about human nature power and wealth it's a drug that you can't get enough of and, and once you do get it, you get desensitized to it. So there is generational wealth in being able to obtain anything. And that's going to give you a high and a sense of power for a time period. There's always this, this desire for almost godlike status. And so that's why we see, and we see like the envelope is constantly being pushed. And you can think about like child sex trafficking wing, rings and sex with children and other things. It's just a constant desire to do things that are outside the norm, that are powerful. And I think that's part of the transhumanist movement. I think there is a disdain for a lot of uh, the human population, that they are less than, that we are less than. We are nothing but parasites on this earth. And we just consume uh, natural materials and goods and we pollute the planet and we have no fucking value at all. And we're to be controlled. And how do we know this? We know this from history. We know how others have, who are in these positions, even going back centuries, it's always that desire to maintain that power and to see others as peasants, right? It's like feudalism, but it's to such a different extent right now. And so that desire for more and more, it's fine running a company. Then it's fine pulling the strings behind a, a country. Well, now it's running the world. And now it's elevating human potential with AI and pharmaceuticals and mass experimentation. It's not going to be mass experimentation on their family or their children. They're going to use the peasants, they're going to use the parasites for mass experimentation. Let's see how the human body responds to SSRIs, mRNA technology. And we're all fucking experimented on like guinea pigs. And you walk around uh, drooling from the side of the mouth, you know, thinking that everything's safe and effective for, the, for, the, for, uh, for everybody. And then they just put their psyops there to get us fight with each other to think the other one is the one who's trying to take me down. 
right? And this is exactly what we got into because people like you, Sean, couldn't see it. You couldn't see exactly what was in front of you. How do you know they're not using it on you right now to attack me? They are. <laughs> I, I would come to you with nothing but love <laughs> and compassion. <laughs> You're my brother. <laughs> But it, so, you know, is that an outrageous viewpoint, Aaron, at this point? Like what I just said, is there anything that could you can debate that with? No, I mean, I think that's absolutely what's happening. And I think that, again, if you, like you said, are in this mindset that we can't really as everyday people fathom, right? You can't fathom what it feels like to have that great amount of wealth and power and what that does to a human mind. It very much is an addiction. It very much is becomes this, it like compiles on top of each other to this point where it's almost like a God-like complex. And you have to view the people below you as you see it, as you have to dehumanize them. You know, there is, there is no ability, I really believe for people that we're talking about in, at this level to see everyday people as actual human beings, because if they could and they did, this wouldn't be happening. None of this would be happening. And it never would have been happening. For our listeners, I think it's important to read um, Just a Thought, uh, what you have as your descriptor, anti-establishment peasants seeking other anti-establishment peasants to organize the revolution. I think that puts it all into perspective right now. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much, yeah, <laughs> answers any question there. <laughs> I, I think that uh, non-sociopaths have a hard time understanding sociopaths. Yes. As a sure. not-sociopath, I completely <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> you know, has, I have got pretty much one talent in this world. <laughs> What's your talent? I can put myself into the minds and emotions of the people around me. Oh, I'm... Mm. Yeah, I guess that that has some skill, some uh, some value. Well, it's why I'm a psychologist, but I've literally learned how to do it. Like I can detach from my body, put myself into their minds. Do you believe that, Sean? No, well, <laughs> I, I think you feel I think you feel people's energy. But I'm going to quote a really smart person okay. before you go because I became much happier when I stopped obsessing about all the ways that society was going to collapse and instead focused on how I could help the people around me in real life. Do you know who said that, Aaron? That was me. Yes, it was you. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, that's one thing I have yet to be able to accomplish. Are you really there? Have you been able to get to that point? No, I mean, I wish that I could get there. That's my ultimate goal is to try to focus on bettering myself and my community and to try to spread awareness. But ultimately, I have found that, yeah, focusing too much on this, right? It's extraordinarily heavy. It's very depressing. It's hard to have these conversations because people are already overwhelmed. And to take on these kind of ideas is nearly impossible for, for most people. And I'm not saying that I'm evolved or better. I simply can't stop focusing on, or, you know, it's just a thought. And, and once it's in there, I think it it's hard to let it go. Yeah, I think we can also now get into some other things that are both in the news, amazingly, but like 10 years ago, would have thought that this, uh, you know, this is three schizophrenics on a, on a podcast <laughs> talking. Um, but it is... Let's give it time. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is the... Uh, Diana Pasolka, who's 
fascinating. Um, you know, she's recently been on Rogan and I, and I read her uh, recent book. Uh, let me bring it up here. Uh, Was it Encounters? Encounters, right? Yeah. Uh, Diana Pasolka. She's a, she's a professor at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, one of religious studies, but has followed the UFO phenomenon or other ways or like just uh, advanced intelligence life yeah. forms and uh, the manner in which they have uh, been interacting with people in a very legitimate way for decades that's documented by the u.s government and by very legitimate people who've had these encounters and uh, there is a subset of people who believe that uh, that we are in a period of mass expansion of consciousness like a awakening where a lot of the systems that kept us enslaved and we weren't aware that we were slaves we're now more aware post-COVID, but we're also more aware because there are advanced life forms that have a, uh, a connection or an agenda to continue to save humanity. And we are in a, a very, what's the word? Tumultuous time. Tumultuous, but potentially um, a, a time where uh, we can actually advance our con- our consciousness to such an extent where we can make positive changes. Like it's a, we should not be scared of what's happening. It is necessary. Yeah, so you're talking about the COVID-19 Great Reset right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. That was a joke. But <laughs> you know the Bledsoe family? Have you seen yes. any of those videos? Yes. Like that is really really interesting it is interesting but so we eventually have to get into some hope about this because we have to talk about can we survive right can are we able to defeat this large group of people with so much power and control is the masses able to rise up basically as you know aaron mentioned but aaron are you have you been looking into any of this ufo stuff and any of this science and research around uh advanced life forms and intelligence I guess to a certain extent, I have, you know, historically looked into it. I think maybe more so than the idea, at least in my mind, of like other life forms, aliens, if you will. I would agree that there is an opportunity for humans to become more conscious and to become more aware on a mass scale and that that could lead to true freedom. And when I mean freedom, I don't mean necessarily that you know, you, you vote every four years and you have rulers that oversee your movements and behaviors and actions, but freedom in that we understand better why we're even here, what our purpose is, who are we, and what can we accomplish if not so oppressed? When it comes to freedom, I think the more appropriate way of of thinking about that word is the removal of fear. Like fear is where a lot of the limitations happen on, on this, this planet in our society. Fear is what holds us back. But when you're open to the idea of, uh, of energy and you put out something about quantum physics and that whole, you know, in your sub stack, when you're, when you're open to the idea that that energy has to go somewhere after our physical bodies pass away, then you understand that there's something else that's going to happen and it's not something to be afraid of. It's actually something that's going to be 
uh, enlightening and and transforma- transformation in a way that you can't possibly understand, and that removes that that fear. And if you ever have anything in your life that happens to you in a spiritual way where there's some type of connection or some type of story that you can't explain in a way that there's the only way to explain it is that there's something else out there um, that removes a lot of that fear from you. And you can, you can really then kind of be open to a bunch of other things and realize that a lot of this bullshit doesn't mean anything. And, and I think that's, there's a lot of people that, that are fearless and are speaking and like the guy in Russia who just died in prison, like he had no fear. Like he was fearless in what he wanted to work towards and pursue. And ultimately we don't he, really he died know that him. you don't know that. Well, that, the, I, I've listened to some interviews with him and the people I know, well, maybe I'm being influenced, but um, I mean, he was a guy that could have, <laughs> he went back to Russia to, because he, he believed so much in what he was working towards and he went to prison and died for it. Aaron, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Are we speaking about Navalny? Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's his name, Navalny. Navalny, yeah. Um, I I don't know. To be fair, I I think from what I've heard, he's he's kind of a Nazi. So just to, oh. just to say, there was there's a, a lot of points to um, not the best human. However, does that take away from these ultimate goals that he had and and what he wanted to accomplish? Um, I can't really speak on it, but. I do believe overall that there are people who not necessarily, and I'm not saying anything against organized religion necessarily. Like if if you are a religious person, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I do think organized religion in itself can lead to a lot of violence as we've seen historically, but maybe more on like a spiritual level, like you mentioned, if people recognize that humans have so much more potential than what we've been able to experience. And I do believe that. Uh, then yeah, this isn't it. This all this bullshit. This is not. This, we were not put here. We do not experience life to, you know, work and die and and barely see our loved ones. And and that's just not the purpose of I in my mind our existence. I agree. And um, you know what's so fascinating about quantum physics, quantum re- quantum mechanics, spirituality and so forth is this intersection around these ideas that uh, um, consciousness is what creates our reality. And in quantum physics, the observer effect basically states that particles don't become active until they're observed. So we are, and they have infinite possibilities. So in some regard, everything is an illusion for us, probably for our own growth and our own benefit and of creation and expansion of consciousness. And once we really do realize that we're powerful, we have this infinite capacity to create. Now, my guess is that there are people on the earth already who know this and um, probably have some stake in keeping a lot of the population enslaved and not being able to see their power. And so, yes, they do keep them in a fear-based energy. And so everything, if you just really pay attention, there's so much to provoke fear. To provoke fear, provoke self-preservation. Self-preservation influences war and influences violence and anger. And you just stay enslaved in that mindset. And we can, we can have all these conversations and we can be scared that our society is going to deconstruct, which I honestly believe it's going to. 
Um, have you been following the migration crisis, Aaron? Yes. Now, I think from reading some of your tweets, you're, again, skeptical of it in the way it's portrayed to us um, in the form of an invasion to also probably to continue to keep us enslaved in these same kind of mindsets and ideas. However, with that being said, I can't get this recent Brett Weinstein interview out of my head where he went down and he visited uh, that section in Guatemala where um, the migrants have to travel through. It's called the, the something pass. I, I can't remember. The name yeah, of it. something yeah. pass. Sorry. I'm, I'm where it's really that. treacherous to pass through. But um, what he was observing there and talking to the migra- migrants is that many of these people are given basically maps and phones and money that are funded by these NGOs, these non-government organizations. And you see like the United States flag and all these um, places for them to be housed. And what he can't get over is there's a large scale mass migration of young Chinese men who look like they're military that's being funneled into complete open borders. So um, we'd have to completely ignore that and I can't, and it certainly seems it's meant for a purpose that is going to create chaos. And if you are going to usher in more surveillance, more control in a world government, you do have to take down the most powerful country in the world, uh, a culture and that is at least on the idea built around the illusion of freedom and independence. And you have to create mass chaos. And even when we have previous podcasts here where we talk, when we referred to like Matthias Desmond's work on mass formation psychosis, free floating anxiety, you have to create free floating anxiety and then completely disrupt a person's ability to connect with any objective reality, which is exactly what is happening in United States culture. Yeah, I think that the immigration crisis is multifaceted. I don't, I, I wouldn't say that what you're describing isn't happening. I would say that there has always been mass movements of people. And if you look even between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, the way that it was reported on was vastly different. When Trump was in office, there was mass movements of people. And there was all of these cries from people that identified you know, as liberals saying, Kids are in cages. When Biden came into presidency, there was actually more migration. There were more kids in cages, but that wasn't reported on, right? So I think there's, excuse me, definitely the way that it's reported on and the way that we hear about it is manipulated and controlled. However, does that mean that there aren't people that are being purposefully flooded into the US in order to create chaos? and destabilize the country. No, I do believe that that is happening. However, the discourse on it is just so unfortunate because instead of kind of coming from a more open-minded point of view, like you, you know, just explained people are, it's just creating more division, more, you know, um, fear of the other fear of cultures and people of different countries. And that's just something that I've always spoken out against because number one, how dare we as Americans uh, hold that viewpoint, uh, you know, based on our own history here. And 
secondly, you know, what, I guess my question is, what does the mass migrate, the natural organic, if you will, although it's always based off of pretty much imperialism, why do we have this fear? And, and I think it kind of stems from a little bit of white supremacy, you know, like, okay, well, if people from the global South are coming into the US, then we're outnumbered now and they're, you know, and so it's just, I guess I just don't know where that's coming from. I don't and buy that. I don't buy that narrative. I think there's always some type of supremacy. Like when the Irish came here, people pushed against the I, Irish. I, like no, it, there's I, I always a new group of people. It's completely economic in my viewpoint. How, how are they paid for? Like, like there's like all... People that are coming in now, like more recent. That we're right. About. So there's always a, uh, a limitation in available jobs, right? Especially when you talk about um, how much autom automation is happening and how AI is going to take a lot of jobs. So there's, there's a concern about the economy. How are these people financially taken care of and how does it affect the U.S. economy? And then the other fear part is always crime. Because when, when poverty occurs, crime increases. So I think those are like legitimate, genuine concerns that have nothing to do with one's uh, cultural background, ethnicity, skin color. It's like, it is truly one of, of economics. So you're talking about the need for undocumented workers to support the economy. Sure, there's way too many people that are coming into the United States illegally for them to work for them to take care of themselves. How are they supported? Where do they go? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know if I could answer that from an educated standpoint. I just I there's there's migrant workers all over the country that are constantly moving from state to state to state. But there was always a number that the country could actually uh, care for. I don't know. What's so, that number? But our our healthcare system isn't set up for this mass migration. Our workforce isn't set up for it. So what happens to us economically? And there are cultural factors, right? Um, we see when there's mass migration in other countries, you have to adapt to the culture and mores of that, that time. So when, in, when we had mass immigration um, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, everything was about assimilation, uh, to be an American, to mm -hmm. be an American. And so there was this accepted culture of integration. Yes, there was always fear of the other. And that's, that's, I'm not saying that's not a, not a part of it, but there are real credible concerns uh, economically about what actually happens now, Aaron, with this mass migration. Well, I mean, I think that we could say there are so many factors that are purposefully and structural or systematically decimating our economy, right? It's, it's not just mass migration. That certainly could be a factor, but even without that, even if we're just looking at, you know, manufactured inflation in itself and just printing money and printing money and printing money and devaluing the dollar, that's all happening without mass migration. And, you know, not that I know too much on the subject. I do, however, work in an industry where I promise you there are plenty of illegal uh, migrants who work. They work. They There's a whole system. They um, have the ability to make social security cards, to make 
visas. This this is definitely and has been something that is you can work around. And in it, a lot of these industries will gladly do that because they can then take advantage of the worker. Uh, they can pay the worker less. They don't have to abide by any kind of you know labor laws. Um, so I do think this happens on a scale that maybe we're not fully aware of mm -hmm. is what I would say, not being an expert, but just from seeing firsthand a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you to an extent. And the other concern I have about this is also, there's a reason we have a, a legal immigration system and, uh, legal legal okay one of those is for national security reasons yeah and what's happening now though is the mass migration that's coming into our flooding our open borders we have no other period of time that we can compare it to so when you have three four five times the amount of people that have been allowed in at any given time that overwhelms that overwhelms the system. Yeah, I just, I don't know what the numbers have always been. So it's it's really hard for, for me to, to weigh in on this because I, I feel like immigration, especially over the southern border, has been happening for a very long time. The only reason why there might be a, like a flux happening now of more people is um, in anticipation of our election and things getting shut down even more. So maybe there's a, a, a greater push to try and, get into the country before the next presidency, whoever that person may be, um, that might, there might actually be some reform that, that shuts down that ability to do so. And when you've been basically traveling for months on end um, to try and get to this, this country for a better life, I think there's a greater push right now to just try and get there. But what's happening, I, I couldn't explain. I, I've, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm trying to look at, uh, trying to find numbers, but I, I can. Maybe that's something that we can add to the episode a little bit later. There was something, you know, they, they were doing some of the reform bills and, and what they would allow in. And there, well, the number I heard was like 10,000 are allowed to cross on a daily basis. But maybe on on average, it has been almost double that. Uh, so they're like cutting it in half. Yeah, so if we're going to if we're going to try to connect this to another part of our conversation, if, if we all agree that there is a transhumanist, anti-human um, depopulation movement from sociopaths that's pretty well organized, uh, the increase in mass migration would be a part of a plan to create that chaos. Um, and the other thing is that whenever the government and the media and Hollywood tells you something is going to happen you should probably pay attention because it generally does. So like <laughs> the, like the, the not everything Hollywood says, the pandemic, for example, certainly okay. predicted. And the thing that consistently comes out is attack on our, uh, our energy. Yeah. But grid. those are all movies that are really exciting to watch because they're catastrophic events. They're not exciting to watch. Sure. They are they're mass manipulation, <laughs> just like Disney. <laughs> Let's leave Bambi out That's of this. Let's leave Dumbo out of this too. Of the three people here, you are the most brainwashed. You are the most mind controlled. Maybe. No, definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> How's that negatively affecting my life? I'm a happy person. I take care of my family. I love my family. I'm surrounded by people I care about. Like at the end of the day, I've got one life to live. Well, I'll go back. I'm to much it. happier when I stopped obsessing about all the ways that society was going to collapse <laughs> and instead focused on how I could help the people around me in real life. I'll go back to what I said when I started. <laughs> the human capacity to deny reality is both fascinating and frightening. And, and the news cycle is just a series of unfortunate events meant to keep you in fear mode so you'll be too scared to realize it's all an illusion. Sean, um, <laughs> I, I love what you guys have. No, I pulled out <laughs> your good ones, Aaron. <laughs> I love that. I will say one thing before I forget that I, that I would, I would. I'm curious what your thought is on this in terms of just to go back to mass migration here. In in terms of these idea, this idea that you know we have to keep people out. What if the goal is to keep us in? Ooh, speak more about that. She just that, flipped it on you. No, that <laughs> that's going up multiple levels deep. Go ahead. Explain more what you mean by that. Well, so we know, right, that uh, surveillance, um, especially, okay, so even going back further, when you mentioned that there are tools that are used overseas, like, you know, more often on marginalized communities, maybe areas where there aren't as many freedoms even that we have here in the States before they are implemented in Western countries, right? So if you look, for example, in areas such as like Iraq, Afghanistan, um, even now in Israel and Gaza, uh, there are surveillance, you know, tools that are utilized that far exceed what we would see here. And all of this is meant to track human movement to keep humans in certain ge geographical areas. And I believe that the goal, and I'm not saying again, that it's not multifaceted because it is. And I do believe it's to create destabil destabilization. However, I also believe that the outcry of people who will say, we need to close our borders, we are being infiltrated, we are being invaded, that will actually be used against us because then there will be all sorts of surveillance tools implemented to keep other people out when in actuality that could really backfire on us wanting to leave. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, and I, I can definitely understand why that would happen. Um, I, I mean, just, uh, just a matter of time before there's a, a, a wide scale kind of terrorism event that exists on this country because this is kind of what just history informs us is going to happen next because it always justifies the next control mechanism the next war the military industrial complex um economic sanctions and uh giving our money you know away to support this idea of like maintaining our own freedom so when you allow complete open borders um, you know, th there is, if there's any attempt for some form of like national security, it certainly allows for sleeper cells to enter into the United States and to be able to perform, you know, those terrorist actions. But again, I'm open to the fact that it also is a big fear mechanism in itself. And the ones who attack us are our own country. Right. And the saddest part is that if and when that happens, most people won't be aware of that. They will never assume that it's coming from inside yeah. the call is coming from inside the house right yeah, yeah. they're upstairs <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere but, but when it comes to immigration though um 
when I was in Los Angeles, like I, I witnessed it. And even like people that I was close to, their families, you know, came over the border for a better life. So I, I yes, there's always going to be a bad element of people that might do yeah, harm but to this I think what, what you're doing is you're, 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 I mean, my wife is an immigrant. Yeah, but they're legal. So, you know, there's a difference but, between legal immigration I, because, you know, then it's, it's a lawful integration into the society. And that's illegal immigration is, is different. Okay, but that's where the reform has to come into play. Because do you know how long, let's say I'm, I'm a Mexican citizen and the cartels are, are attacking my family and I want to have a better life and I want to come to the United States. Do you know how long it would take me to legally get into the United States? If I went into the system, oh, I, I, under, went, I understand. It's the like 150 years. Sean, I understand. The, <laughs> like, there's no way to do it. I understand the incentive for for migrants to illegally enter the United yeah, States. But there's there's no incentive to go the legal process because it's impossible. I understand that. So the, so but uh, so what what's your? It's point? all an illusion. So does the <laughs> does the does the United States should just be a mass open? Uh, open borders for anyone who chooses to come here? No, we, we actually do need uh, reform, serious reform. Okay. I want to go into the, uh, the final topic area. Okay. I'm, I'm simply going to state this. I believe we're being poisoned. Can I read something to you? Sure. All right. This is regarding the pandemic. It was written and it says all this boils down to lifestyle choices, not only the time we spend in nature, but also what we eat how we sleep, how much we exercise. These are choices that point to an encouraging observation. Age does not have to be a fatality. They all have the dual benefit of improving immunity and suppressing inflammation. And it's regarding our consumption habits in terms of like less plundering and more sustainability. Do you know who wrote that? Who? It was the COVID-19 Great Reset. (laughs) I'm totally serious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I pulled it out today because I was like, well, hold on a minute. There's some things in here that totally make sense to me. And I, if we pick and choose what we want to, no, from no, that. You're, so you're, I want you to tell me yeah, what's wrong about that statement or how you. No, the, the statement in itself is correct until they tell you what you need to eat. And that's where the poison goes. So they're already, there is a war on farmers. Okay. And uh, if they can create the uh, entire food chain, they control your health. Now they've been doing that anyway by poisoning our food. So we've talked in ex- extensive but that's just food. Hold on. We've, we've <laughs> talked extensively in this. We've gotten most of the country obese by uh, toxic seed oils, pesticides, and a number of other factors that have maintained the, uh, the sickness healthcare system, the sick care system that exists in the United States that continues to fund them. The sicker we are, the richer they, they are. Right. And so that is clear. And so the foods that are really nutritious and, and the biodiversity that exists from uh, both animal uh, products and uh, locally sourced organic based foods, the control is going to be taken out and they're, and they're going to use climate change as the reason for that. They already are. Right, and you say the things happen outside the United States first, and that's what's happening in Europe, and that's what's happening in other places where now the farmers are having to revolt, right? And once you lose control of what you can eat, you are a slave. Now we've already lost control of what we can put in our body, Sean. When you have mass uh, vaccinations that are you pretty much have to get in order to go to school, in order to work, in order to integrate into the society. We are slaves. We have lost our bodily autonomy, and it has been it has been going on. But you're so conditioned and so brainwashed to see this as healthcare that it's something to protect us that we mass do it like sheep, like drones, 
And when are we going to wake up? When are we going to see it for what it is? The evidence is clear, but people will fight against the actual evidence to stay conditioned into their own mind so they can feel safe. And that's where fear is such a controlling mechanism. The more fear and scared you are, you'll do anything to manage it, to control it. And you're going to have to trust the authority because the authority is out to protect you, to keep you safe. And that's the problem that we're in. We are being mass poisoned. The life expectancy is decreasing. There's going to be, uh, there is a fertility crisis. And it is extremely difficult for people to stay healthy, even when they think they're eating healthy. Aaron, what say you? <laughs> wow, there was a dozen things there you need to comment on now, Aaron. No, I mean, I think it's it's all, you know, number one, really well said, right? Because it is all encompassing. This is true. It's hitting us on so met from so many different places because you're talking about food, you're talking well, access, right? Access to food that um, is natural. It is not biohacked or I mean, Bill Gates owns more farmland than any one single farmer in the world. This is just the truth. You're talking about access to clean water that's going to become more and more privatized. We're already seeing that. And then you're talking about health care or, as you said, basically sick care and, you know, having, again, just being as trying to be as healthy as you can and trying to be aware of all of this. You still don't have the ability because it is completely tainted across the board. And I think that first and foremost, as you mentioned earlier, it's all experimental. Um, I think it's it's really that we are kind of, I know as depressing as it sounds, lab rats. And it is kind of like, how do they respond to this? How do they respond to that? But again, it's also just uh, resources, right? It, it's just hoarding these resources, um, putting in the cheapest ingredients that you can, and then depopulating basically our species, uh, making us infertile. I mean, birth control makes you infertile. These vaccinations can make you infertile. I mean, all of these, these are real things that are happening. And as you mentioned, people don't, they would far prefer to just say, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention to that because how can you pay attention to that and still go about your day to day? You know, it's really yeah, just... And and really you, know you're, you know you're enslaved when you actually think there's nothing you can do. And that's, right. and that's my concern with, uh, with Sean. And that's where he shows his. <laughs> uh, instead, I focus on how I could help the people around me in real life. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sounds like totally someone else's when it, words. When it comes to like the su sustainability of food, like I, I recognize the number of people all around me. Everybody's got chickens now. Like you got eggs. They've got their gardens. Like you can grow your own food and then you buy your, your meat from your, your local farmer. Like that is the solution. You buy locally. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be so easy. No one can ever interfere with that. <laughs> You're fear-based. <laughs> I, I don't feel fear about this. Um, it's reality-based. I can't deny reality. And because I discuss it doesn't mean I'm in fear. I think sometimes just like your willingness to be open about it and discuss it, knowing the degree of surveillance that exists in the United States right now means that you ultimately, uh, no matter how long you're on this earth in this body, you accept its temporary status. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so with that is, I mean, that's liberating um, because 
you know, I'm not afraid to die. And I think a fear of death is part of this. Fear of death does keep us enslaved. We don't talk enough about our collective uh, humanity and, and uh, the, the time that we're here. I mean, I think I said this before, I think it's much better to, to live a life of uh, virtue and courage and uh, to grow and expand your consciousness and learn than to be stuck in fear about what you're going to lose. I mean, that's what keeps people enslaved. Well, I've got this much, so I got to keep it. Uh, I've got to control what's mine. And see, now you become a threat to that. And it's so easy for them to divide us by making you out to be a threat to what you have. And even when I have these conversations with good friends of mine, they can only grasp it. I'm sure they're going to be listening to this podcast. They can only grasp it to an extent. And then it's always back to, well, I'm going to protect myself. Yeah, because that's what it comes down to at the end. And, and you see that through every pandemic. Let's not even use COVID. Let's use all the pandemics of the past. Um, actually, I think it was in, in the, the COVID, uh, the Great Reset. They talked about the, um, the Spanish flu and how they got to a point where there was a, a number, there was a lot of people dying and they were looking for more volunteers. They couldn't find any volunteers anymore. That's why there's not very good documentation or stories about what happened uh, during that entire Spanish flu period because people pulled back and they wanted to only protect their own or like go back to some of the plagues in the past and they were leaving their children Can I ask to you a question? Like survive on their own or just die. Who writes the history books? <laughs> Whoever survives. <laughs> it's always the victors, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the one thing that people are also becoming more awakened to is how the stories of our past can be used to condition us all because those who have the power to write the narratives, you know, really too can use them to in influence, you know, others. I, you know, I'm, there's a great book that, um, this vaccination whole thing, you know, fascinates me, um, because, you know, up to just a number of years ago, I just assumed a vaccination was, uh, really an, an advancement of human technology and, and health advancement until I started reading more about it and looking into the, uh, the research, one of the books is uh, Dissolving Illusions by Suzanne Humphreys and uh, Roman Bistrian. Like, it's just interesting. Like, we're, we're conditioned or led to believe and accept certain things to be true. Like, the polio vaccine in itself is what got us out of that. Until you really look into somehow this, of the scientists now who are, who are examining that or, or what else was happening at, at that time that allowed the polio, uh, polio to be eradicated. And I just ask people to look at things with more of an open mind, right? Um, and that's hard because all this information is so presented to us in such a factual way and we learn it in schools and then we follow the rules and we do it. And anything outside of what we're kind of conditioned to believe becomes so threatening. It'd be like saying, Sean, like you and I don't, re we aren't really brothers. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, maybe not. Or this is. I'm trying to figure out. This isn't really a computer. <laughs> During this conversation, <laughs> I mean, there have been people that have, you know, gone up to her mother and they're like, "You, you birthed both these boys." Like, it's hard. It's hard for them to fathom sometimes. But, but we look too similar. That's but, the problem. But reality is a construction, right? And so, like, when you think you know something to be true, any evidence, even to the contrary, is going to probably be dismissed and. So that's just a human, you know, vulnerability and there's cognitive biases that exist around it, but who's going to really put the work in to really look into this stuff. But when, when, when it comes to the vaccinations, um, 
there was a situation in your life that required you to look into it further. And that's when you became aware of things. And unfortunately, I think that's the path that many of us take is we don't start digging into the details of things until we're put under the pressure or we have to make a decision or somebody in our family is being hurt or harmed. That causes you to dig a little further and identify all these things that we should really be aware of. But I told you before, and I do believe there's the mass awakening, you know, post COVID, but often it's too late. Yes. You know, it's too late. Yeah, I agree. Like once you, once you get the, the MRNA technology, gene therapy, um, under the premise that it's safe for you because your doctor told you to do it, it's too late. You know, the consequences that you may incur from it or what society may incur from it have already, you know, are unfortunately already in motion. But on, on a positive note, I do believe... Oh, thank God. I, I do believe it was a, um, a, a failure. Um, ultimately, I, I mean, I, I do think COVID was a bioweapon. Does anyone else disagree with me? A bio, you, you mean like it, it leaked out intentionally? Yes. Potentially. Actually, there was that, I think, Aaron, as I was scrolling through your, your X feed, um, there was the, who was the prime minister, Boris Johnson, when he talked about this, this COVID strain is really scaring me. When are we going to release the next strain? Like he, he said something like that. And we, we kind of like <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think that, again, like to go on a positive note, right? (laughs) People are awakening. And I think that if we can just plant those seeds for people, not to tell them what to think, but to question what they think, that goes so far. Because ultimately, as you said, people have to come to these conclusions on their own. You can't tell them this is happening if they don't experience it on some level. Maybe not through themselves, maybe through their loved ones or, you know, friends. I think that this is going to, unfortunately, sure, happen more and more as people find themselves in dire situations. But that leads to the evolved consciousness that we're talking about. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, that's, I think that's why conversations on these podcasts are so fascinating, because we it does shed light on important issues that, I mean, a week ago, I would have you know, I, we, we talk about things that you're like, hey, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> like that's what's great about this is you're, it's forced learning. And when you're listening, it's it's not forced learning, but it is shedding light on important things that we should all be aware of. And there's going to come a time when maybe it does impact you and you need you need to dig a little bit further. Yeah. And one thing to end on a positive note, too, I, I do think for a while, especially during 2020 2021 i was really down on humanity yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but i there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast and like really connect with the things we're saying that would have sound absolutely crazy prior to 2020 and so that does represent the mass awakening and how people are now paying attention and that provides me so some hope because i do believe that uh maybe we can evolve as uh as a human species um, and I think we can, and ultimately if we do transcend past fear, we're moving closer to love and love as an energy, um, and how I think we can be in positions to care for each other. And when we are potentially forced with mass enslavement or, um, 
you know, a real battle with, with people of, of great power who believe in transhumanism, that there is kind of a, um, I don't want to say a, a battle, but, um, you know, a spiritual battle, even in some way for uh, human, for the human condition to kind of continue to prevail around this idea of, of freedom. And I think we're just going to be in that type of warfare over the next decade. It's started. Um, it, we're in the middle of the propaganda piece to it, which is always what really does start wars. Um, p- prior to any war, there's mass propaganda. Um, and I think we're trying to sift out the, the disinformation warfare piece of this, which is to try to confuse the masses and drive everyone against each other. It's almost like, uh, you know, in Obama's movie, you know, at, at one point you don't even know who's, who's attacking you. You know, and that's where we're at. In Obama's movie? Yeah, the one that he was the producer. Um, oh, is that Leave the World Behind? Leave the World Behind, right? Oh, geez. Like, there's such mass disinformation. I didn't know he was a producer. <laughs> yeah. There's such yeah. mass dis- disinformation that people don't really know who the enemy is. And that's kind of where we are t- today. And it reflects that in our discussion, right? We're speculating and we're saying what we observe and, and how we discern that information and how we make sense of it. And we try to use facts and we try to say, what could that mean? We do like reverse engineering, <laughs> you know, to try to figure out how things go. And that's where we get to where we are. Hey, it all starts with just a thought. It starts with just a thought. Hey, I love that. <laughs> uh, Aaron, uh, tell us a little bit more about kind of what you're up to in your life and how could people get in touch with you if you're going to continue to share more thoughts? Um, because I actually thought they were fascinating and you articulated your points so extremely well and i'm just hoping that people continue to kind of just follow your your work and maybe we'll see where it takes you well thanks i really appreciate that um as of right now i'm still just mostly utilizing x um at e underscore g a l v also just a thought um i also have a Substack that i utilize you know here and there i am thinking of potentially creating kind of a similar podcast that you guys have where you kind of just chat and see where it goes. But ultimately, I'm really looking into direct action. Um, mutual aid, I think, is huge, right? Bring, when we talk about, excuse me, <clears throat> bringing communities together and really ensuring that if people do want to get out there, whether that be boycotting, protesting, um, whatever that looks like to you, whatever it looks like that you can see that you're helping your community. Financially, we have to support each other. So I think that starts with mutual aid. Um, so I've really been in touch with some people, you know, here in DC and, and also around the country. And so that's kind of where my focus is right now. And I hope that, you know, we get back to more of a community-based lifestyle because uh, we're going to need each other. Totally agree. Fascinating conversation today. Aaron Galvin, I want to thank you for a radically genuine conversation. Thank you. It was nice to meet you guys. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, 
may make their day. Thank you for listening.